We praise the name of uh, our our Lord and God. We glorify His name as we remember the ascensions and the Holy Week. And we remember as Jesus goes towards and sets His face towards the cross, where He goes to defeat the greatest enemy of sin and death. So we praise Jesus' name and we give thanks to Him that He is our our Lord and God. Before we um have our reading, I just want to um um spend a short time in prayer. And I want to um, use a prayer written by um, Pete Gregg, and it's a prayer of yielding. And um, during this time of prayer, if you want to take this opportunity, there is a chat option on the on Zoom. I don't know how to use that. I think you click somewhere and it says more, and you can you can type things in. But if you've got people's permission um, to share um, regarding in prayer or other things. Um, do put their name, do put their name up so that we can see people that you're, we can pray for, that we can be concerned for, that we can, um, think about at this time as we pray as well. So let, let's, let's pray. Let's come before God. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you to protect us from the spread of the coronavirus. You are powerful and merciful. Let this be our prayer. Have mercy on me. My God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Jehovah Shalom, Lord of Peace. Remember those living in, with, in coronavirus hotspots and those currently in isolation. May they know your presence in their isolation, your peace in their turmoil, and your patience in their waiting. Prince of Peace, you are powerful and merciful. Let this be their prayer. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name. God of all comfort and counsel, we pray for those who are grieving, reeling from the sudden loss of loved ones, May they find your fellowship in their suffering, your comfort in their loss, and your hope in their despair. We bring them before you now, those known to us who are vulnerable and scared, the frail, the sick, and the ill. God of all comfort. You are powerful and merciful. May this be our prayer. He has delivered us from such a deadly pit. He will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Jehovah Hapha, God who heals, we pray for all the medical professionals dealing daily with, daily with the intense pressures of this crisis. Grant them with resilience and weariness and discernment and diagnosis, and compassion upon compassion as they feel. We thank you for the army of researchers working steadily and quietly towards a cure. Give them clarity and serendipity and unexpected breakthroughs today. Would you rise above this present darkness as the sun of righteousness with healing in your rays? 
May this be our prayer. Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched your arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And Father, we do especially remember those who are on our minds and our hearts at this time, those who are close to us, those who are within our fellowship and uh, members and part of our church community also who are suffering at this time with coronavirus. Uh, Lord, we just bring especially to our prayers, we pray for Nair, uh, Melania and the kids, Lord. We just pray for him. He's a consultant and I believe a surgeon at Derby Royal and he's suffering with um, coronavirus at the moment, like many other people who are serving in the front line of the hospital. So we just pray for that family, Lord, and ask your blessing upon the Lord that you'll bring full healing and restoration to that year, that he will be able to return to his important work in our, in our hospital and within our community. And Lord, we hold towards you all those who have passed away. We ask that you will give comfort to those who are grieving this and the difficulties of safety as well. And we say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Yours be the blessing, God. So we're going to read, um, you'll see the, the reading on the screen before you, Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. I'll be reading from the NRSV. Um, uh, the words may also be on the screen, I believe. So it's Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. When they had come near um, Jerusalem and had reached um, Bethpage, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. I was going to have a quick drink of water before we, um, we um, have our sermon. I just want to start off and think about it's something that came up to me, which is the one called confirmational bias. I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but it's, but it's when you look for things 
that confirm your bias. I'll give one example. Um, about probably six years ago, I really felt God saying to me, um, just stop coffee. And at that point, I love coffee. I, I drank bucket loads of coffee all the time. And um, in that moment, I really felt that God was saying that. So I felt I had to be obedient. But one of the things I did go home is went look, started looking on the internet and Google as you do and all the things, looking for information about, you know, whether coffee is good for you, whether coffee is bad for you. And I can tell you all the things in my confirmational bias was always look for things that said why coffee was good. Um, after about five or six years of not having coffee, um, because of the situation with muscles and different things like that, I decided to start having one cup of coffee in the morning. Um, just to help muscles relax. Um, and we have this same confirmational bias when it comes to Jesus. A lot of people think about Jesus being this um, meek, and mind, meek and mild and gentle Jesus. The fact that Jesus could never be sort of authoritative, that a, a warrior king, we're actually in a text in Matthew that says, what, what happened here as Jesus entered Jerusalem caused turmoil in Jerusalem. It turned Jerusalem upside down. Um, the whole city was talking about what was going on with this man, Jesus, entering this city with thousands of followers and people crying out his name and saying, um, saying Hosanna to the King of Kings, Hosanna to the Lord of Lords. Here comes our Messiah into the city. The incredible thing was we would have thought when Jesus entered in city, we think we probably have Jesus, um, Mary Magdalene, twelve disciples, and they would be following him. There wouldn't be much of a much of a scene. There wouldn't be much going on. People going, Oh, here's this man, Jesus coming. But in reality, in fact, when Jesus went into Jerusalem and he began that march on the Mount of Olives, there were thousands of people following Jesus. Not just twelve, not seventy two, not three hundred, but there have been Thousands of people, maybe three, four thousand people, could have marching down the streets of Jesus, shout Hosanna. Can you imagine the scene? I just think about that. I, I think about um, being Scottish. I always think about the Jacobites when they invaded um, England and came all the way down to Derby. And their, their aim was to get to, to London and to take over London. And all these thousands of troops coming and marching upon Derby and other cities. In England, must have been quite a quick scene, must have caused quite a stir and caused upset. But imagine Jesus, this, this, this army that Jesus is taking towards Jerusalem, these thousands of people who are going with him, who are expecting, who don't particularly see Jesus as this being this meek and mild person, but they see him, him as a humble king, the Messiah, the warrior king who's going to restore Israel to greatness, who's going to come and bring in the kingdom of God. And it's very important where Jesus begins this journey because he begins the journey in the Mount of Olives. He begins at a place called Beth Bethpage. And this is the place where the Sahan Sanhedrin would meet. And they were the political authorities, people who ruled politically over uh, Israel. And they would make all the political decisions. And this was their base. This is where they made the decisions. And, and Bethpage was um the meaning was um, the house of unripe figs. And it was also the place where Jesus cursed the unripe 
fig tree, uh, which has also got other political significance towards it. But also, the Mount of Olives was the place where the prophet Zechariah in chapter 14, verse 4, talks about God beginning the, the final battle. That's the place where the final battle, where the Messiah would come, where the King of Kings would come, where God would come to all the nations and he would battle against all the nations and, and, and a new creation would take place and the kingdom of God would come into reality and into power. So when Jesus started this march from the Mount of Olives, he's making quite two political statements. He's saying, look, I'm starting this from the political power of Israel. And actually, I'm starting from the prophetic power, which says, you know, this is the beginning. This is the coming of the kingdom of God. This is the coming of the rule of God. And so you could understand why the people would be so excited in Jerusalem why the people would be so anticipating, why people would be cutting down branches and, and shouting Hosanna, because here's this person, Jesus, who's making this declaration saying, I am the coming humble king, but I'm also the warrior Messiah, the person who's going to come and, and defeat nations and bring in the kingdom and the rule of God in Israel. And so people were, were amazed and excited, and as Jesus came in, um, he caused turmoil in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was up, turned upside down. People were running about going, saying, who's this Jesus? Why are people crying out? Is this, is this really the Messiah who's coming to rule and reign? And in Zechariah 9, the donkey and the colt represent the coming ruler of God's people, the Messiah. So even the donkey and the colt have symbolic meaning about being the Messiah, about being the coming king. Um, the donkey represents the humble king and the colt also the divine warrior who will command peace to the nations. So in the eyes of the Jews, this is the coming Messiah who will deliver the people. Now their expectation is that he would deliver the Jewish people from the Romans and restore the kingdom of Israel, and then God's rule and reign would come down, and God would set his feet on Jerusalem and reign over all the nations. But as we know, Jesus' battle was not against flesh and blood, but it was against principalities and powers, or against death and sin. And so when Jesus was going there as Messiah, the warrior king, his battle was not against Romans or people or individuals or, or, or politicians or, or political ideas, but was to bring the kingdom of God in through defeating death and sin upon the cross. This was not an expectation that the Israelites might have had, but God, this was, this was Jesus' plan to defeat sin and death upon the cross. And as we come into Holy Week and as we go into, um, Jerusalem, then uh, and Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we start to get that picture of how Jesus is fighting another battle from the expectations of the people. And their cries go from Hosanna, Hosanna, to the one of crucify him. And the people were crying out, praise God and his Messiah when they're crying out, Hosanna. It was a cry of worship, 
in adoration, but it was also a cry of deliverance. It was about saying, God is going to deliver us. God is going to, and, uh, and is going to set us free. God has a hope for our future. And um, the, this, this cry from Hosanna is taken from Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26, which says, The Lord save us. The Lord grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. So although they're worshipping Hosanna, praise the name of the Lord, praise God, Hosanna in the highest. There's this sense of this is the one who will come and save us. This is the one who will deliver us. This is the one who will set us free. And so the Jews were crying out, praise God and his Messiah. We are saved. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The cry of the people is about deliverance. I don't know about you, but I, I think that cry of Hosanna has so much significance today, isn't it? I think we're living in a time where we need deliverance, where we need hope for a future. We need to see the end of this virus. We need to see um, God's hands move, the, the, the move of professionals to bring an end to this virus, that social isolation will bring victory over um, this virus, which, which seems to want to bring so much death and decay. But in the middle of the death figures, we also give thanks for the amount of people who have recovered, the amount of people who have been saved, the amount of people who have been delivered from the potential of death because of the, the, the wonderful facilities, NHS, the things that we have in this country that we're so blessed to have. And so there's many ways in which we should, we should cry, Hosanna, God, you are delivering us. God, you are bringing victory. God, you are giving us a hope for the future. And it's something that we can share with our neighbours and our friends to say, this won't be forever. The victory will come. There will be hope. And just as God says to us, you know, this life of sin and suffering and difficulty will not be forever because Jesus has come. He is the Messiah. He is the warrior king. He has come to win the battle over sin and death and he has won that victory. He has crushed Satan under his feet. And the separation that was between us and God is no more. And we can stand in relationship, in friendship to God. And God calls us as beloved children. God calls us a child of God and says, your future is with me. Your hope is with me. Your deliverance is with me. Isn't that amazing? That God has given us a hope and a deliverance. He has given us a future. His plan is to prosper us and bless bless us with his presence. With a relationship with our Father in heaven and to know his comfort. And so as Christians, in the midst of despair and difficulty, we know what it is to live in hope, don't we? We know what it means to live in hope. Isolation isn't just a problem that's being caused by coronavirus. We know as Christians and through our work in the church that isolation's always been with us. There's always been a problem. Death has always been with us. Disease, sickness and illness has always been with us. But there is a hope to isolation. There's a hope to death. There is a hope... Um, to suffering and disease and that his name is Jesus Christ for he has delivered us 
And this is a time to celebrate and to give thanks to God for the amazing things that we're seeing and what we're learning about ourselves as Christians, as a society, about how important our social structures are. Many of these social structures like NHS, education, all these things were put in place by Christians 200, 300 years ago and how vital they are to our society. That the majority, the large amount of people who volunteer in a society are Christians. Uh, and it's great to see that the wider society are coming together and deciding to volunteer and to show actually the NHS is so important to us. Our education system is so important for us. We can't take it for granted. That caring for each other is so important for us. That loving our neighbour and being there for our neighbours and our friends is so important for us. To look after the isolated is so important. These are things that we're learning through this disaster, through this, this challenge and this difficulty. And that the one thing we can do, we can either live in fear and be crushed by this virus and run away from it and try to hide from it and, and try to be in despair. Or, and we can try to, or we can try to grow and learn in the midst of this difficult time. And from that growth that we can change and be different, have different behavior and different attitudes. And my prayer is that our society will have a different attitude after this crisis. There'll be a change in understanding that as we see nearly a, nearly a million people volunteer for the NHS and other services their time, their efforts to go and help the vulnerable, the isolated, the weakest in our society. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible to see these people rise up. And as a church, we want to be part of that and to encourage that because that's what we're about as church. That's what Jesus Christ is about. That's what he came to do was to defeat these things in the society, to see the homeless housed. Isn't it amazing that in one moment, the whole of, all the people who were homeless in our, homes, in, our, in our city are all of a sudden accommodated it's incredible that they're in a, I think, a holiday in now and, and actually being cared for and looked after in an incredible way. The weakest are sheltered, protected and provided food. And the NHS and other services are valued and seen as a national treasure we depend on. And perhaps it's taken some a collapse of our economy, with difficulty and struggle of losing work and money and finances and challenges like this. Um, to actually see the true value of society, to see the true value of each other and how we can bless each other in our lives when we really care and love each other as Jesus commanded us to do. And it's quite amazing that Boris Johnson now has, has contradicted Mar Margaret Thatcher's statement in 1987 when she said there is no such thing as society. And Boris Johnson stated that the crisis has shown us there is such a thing as society and how important society is when it functions well and is value and makes a difference to the community that we live in. And we believe there is an even more significant thing than society. We believe in the kingdom of God, where all these things about caring and loving are the values of God's kingdom. These are the things that God said, this is what I came to bring into the world, that we might have a society where we love each other, care for each other, support the weakest and transform lives. So we pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon each one of us in our homes and give us opportunities to pray, to serve, to look after those in need, but also to see our society transformed. Sometimes we maybe think it's when we're gathered that the society will be transformed, but maybe God's turned it upside down and said, well, actually, it's when you're going to be in your homes and your communities and your families and your friendships 
that's the way that society is going to be transformed, that people can see the important values of God's kingdom and love. So this virus may have came and it may have turned our city upside down, our country upside down, our world upside down. It may have caused turmoil and upset. Um, but we have a, a saviour, a messiah who's humble, but he's also a warrior king who has defeated death and sin and isolation. We just have to trust and follow him and believe in him and follow his teachings in the Bible and love each other and serve each other and be dedicated to each other as Jesus commanded that we might fulfill the kingdom of God and make it real in this place. So our God is incredible, amazing. Jesus is coming and he's going to shake everything up in our society and he's going to transform things in society and we pray that our society will be transformed by the coming of our king, this Easter, that we'll see our raising up of God's kingdom, that from these events we'll see revival and life renewed and people coming to understand and value what Jesus has done for us. He's given us victory over death and sin and new life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the victory that he has gained, Lord, that he came not to that might live in fear or worry or upset or in isolation, but we might live in victory and hope and joy that your Holy Spirit is with us. And Father, you promise us that your spirit will never leave us, but the presence of Jesus will always be amongst us and with us. And as we are gathered here, Father, in a different way, we know that your spirit is with us and upon us and in us and moving and transforming so, Father, I just pray for those who are feeling fearful this morning that your presence will come upon them, your comfort will come upon them now, and that their fear will be taken away and their fear will be replaced by hope. We pray for those who are worrying and for those who are living in anxiety. Lord, we pray for that worrying anxiety to be taken away, that they will trust in you, that you'll be their security, their strength, and their stronghold at this difficult time. We pray for those who are sick, with this virus and sick in other ways, Father, we pray for healing and health and recovery. And we declare in Jesus' name now, all sickness to be gone and recovery to come in the name of Jesus. We pray for victory in Jesus' name over this sickness, over this virus now, over people's lives now. And we pray for healing in the powerful name of Jesus. And we pray for those who have been bereaved. Father, we pray that you will give them peace and comfort this time. Lord, it's such a strange time in which People cannot say goodbye to their loved ones in the usual way. So we pray for your deliverance and we pray that you will give them peace and comfort. And Father, we pray for the coming days. And Lord, we pray that this, the amount of deaths that the news is predicting will be reduced. And Lord, we'll see an end to this curve and we'll see a reduction in death. And we'll see a return to life and life in its full through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, give strength and power and energy to all those who are serving the NHS and, and the police force and bus drivers, all those who are still keeping our essential services good. Lord, protect them from this virus and Lord, and help them um, to be safe 